Welcome to Woking Up. White supremacy. White, white, white supremacy is the fringe of the fringe. This is a mini-series brought to you by Polite Conversations. All of a sudden we can't talk about Neanderthal DNA Here I'll talk about my journey into and out of being a new atheist Sam Harris fan. In and of itself, in and of itself, that video is not evidence braces. I'm your ex-Muslim host, Ina. No, not the right-wing kind. Thank you for tuning in. This is how the left will die. Welcome back to Woking Up. We've made it to the second episode, and it seems like you guys enjoyed the first one. Yay! And you know, I would have been so sad if I didn't manage to piss off some right-wing atheists at least, but luckily I hit that goal pretty quickly too. Achievement unlocked. So, previously on Woking Up, episode one, we were discussing Sam's constant denial of racism and his use of his minority friends as a shield. We also touched briefly upon his minimization of white supremacy, and you know, just in the last week alone, there's been some interesting coverage on white supremacy. Christopher Mateus, who specializes in covering the far right, reported that, and I quote, Donald Trump's 2020 campaign has repeatedly accepted donation from well-known white supremacists, extremists, and bigots, Federal Election Commission records show. Among the far-right figures who've given money to Trump's re-election bid are a neo-Nazi pastor in Louisiana, a wealthy Florida businessman who called the former President Barack Obama the N-word, and a neo-fascist activist arrested for opening fire on Black Lives Matter demonstrators in Portland, Oregon. The Trump campaign has been aware of at least some of the white supremacist donations past media reports show, but it has declined to reject or return their money, even though it is common practice for political campaigns to voluntarily forfeit donations from extremists, end quote. Fringe of the fringe indeed. Another article in The Guardian reported that white supremacists and other right-wing extremists have been responsible for 67% of domestic terror attacks and plots so far this year in the U.S., with at least half of that violence targeting protesters, according to a new analysis from a centrist think tank. And an SPLC investigation revealed that President Trump's deputy communications director, Julia Hahn, had connections to the white nationalist movement around the time she joined the White House as an aide. No big deal, though. It's all super fringe. The White House? Who's ever even heard of it? But Ina, The Guardian and SPLC are wokeness-infected sources. Sam wouldn't trust those for a second. Hmm. Yeah, funny that, especially considering he's said stuff like this before. So this gets me into trouble occasionally. And there's a related principle here, which is whatever the topic, it could be race, it could be violence, guns, terrorism, immigration, whatever it is, an honest walk through it will flirt with points that support the side you don't like. And in fact, these may be points raised by terrible people to support a position you don't like and may be right not to like. 
So, for example, this, this is the kind of thing that came up in my recent conversation with Jared Diamond. Right at one point, we were talking about Japan, and there was a point I'd heard white supremacists make in defense of their own immigration stance, right? Which is to say, they, they want no immigration, they want to live in a white ethno state. And then when right-thinking people attack this as a symptom of pure evil, the white supremacist might say, well, what about Japan? Right? Japan has the same policy. The Japanese want to keep Japan for the Japanese. They don't want any pink-skinned barbarians living among them, right? Why isn't that a racist policy? Now, that's actually an interesting point. That's actually an interesting point. That's actually an interesting point. So this is something I brought up with Jared just to talk about Japan because it's interesting, right? So yeah, what about Japan? Why aren't we viewing this policy as shocking evidence of a racist worldview or something, if not racism, something? I mean, it's a strange thing to find so interesting, standard white supremacist talking point. You know, I'm happy to take that point from Hitler himself, if it's interesting. The source simply doesn't matter. The source simply doesn't matter. Contrast this to what he says about data on white supremacy, and it's from the same episode. Again, I don't know the data on this. I don't know that we can trust the data on this. Sam? Inconsistent? Never. Another fascinating thing Sam does is he dismisses his own invited expert guests who disagree with him or push back too hard on his extremely narrow concepts of racism or white supremacy as too woke, either right in his recorded intro to his chat with them or he wraps up the conversation in a neat little bow with his final word on how woke they are. So setting the tone on how his audience should perceive them. And he's had to have some of these guests on because even his fans were starting to notice that he talked almost exclusively to people he agreed with about uh, how shit the left is usually. Here's what he had to say about Kathleen Ballou, historian of the white power movement and Andrew Morantz, author and writer at The New Yorker. As you may have noticed, I couldn't quite hold myself to the distinction between white power and white supremacy that she was making. Part of it is just that I think of white supremacy as the ideology and white power as the movement. She was making a different distinction and a fairly woke one, and I didn't want to get into that. Clearly, for her, white supremacy includes more or less every form of structural racism and really every misdeed that can be leveled at the conscience of the West. Right, she was adding nuclear weapons and colonialism and the missteps of capitalism. I mean, it's, it was everything. I don't think it's a very useful way to use that phrase, but I didn't want to get into it. And we are talking today about his book, Antisocial, Online Extremists, Techno-Utopians, and the Hijacking of the American Conversation. And it's an interesting book and an interesting discussion. 
It gets more contentious than I was expecting, about an hour in or so. Andrew is more woke than I realized. But if he's not dismissing his own guests on white supremacy and racism, then he's having a full-blown falling out with them, like he did with ex-neo-Nazi Christian Picciolini, when Sam edited out his criticisms of white nationalist Stefan Molyneux. Why, you ask? Well, because Sam wanted to split hairs about how harshly Christian could criticize Molyneux on his show. You know, a very normal thing to fight with your own guest about. And a really great hill to die on, defending the honor of Stefan Molyneux. And not only did he remove Picciolini's criticisms of Molyneux from his already released audio, he went back and edited out his own criticisms too. If you want to hear more detail on that, I did an entire episode with Christian where we talked about it, and I'll link that in the show notes. Um, so yeah, Sam and people too strongly against racism or white supremacy generally don't tend to get along. Weird, huh? Now, with the U.S. elections creeping closer and closer, the IDW types are losing it completely. What with Majid reduced to retweeting Steve Bannon and Ian Miles Chung, his Twitter timeline full of garbage from the Federalist and Epoch Times. It's embarrassing, really. And to think just a couple of years ago, Majid was calling me a cultural Bolshevik or something because I criticized his Tommy Robinson apologetics. Who could have predicted this type of decline? Ayan Hirsi Ali has come out as a full-on Trumper. Eric Weinstein has been trying to make incons, that is, involuntary conservatives, a thing. <laughs> it's, it's like he thought, hmm, how can I make incel sound even more pathetic? I know, incons. Look what you made us do. We have to be conservative now because you made us change our politics by saying mean things. And then there's the bottom of the barrel of the bottom of the barrel, Reuben, who's been attending Trump rallies maskless and saying things like, don't trust science because uh, there are evil scientists in movies sometimes. And of course, we can't forget Douglas Murray, uh, an atheist, uh, who's been appearing on Christian Fundy channels these days to make videos titled God-Shaped Hole. <laughs> Lamenting the loss of faith and Christian values. Sam Harris is in some good company, eh? I wonder if he's feeling the slightest bit of embarrassment at the sorts of people he's backed and promoted and surrounded himself with all this time. Because of course, he hasn't met a single person who finds Trump more odious than him. But it just so happens that his best pals, who he's formed an ideological circle jerk with, are all falling in line with the MAGA crowd. Strange coincidence. Feeling embarrassment, though, requires self-reflection, so I highly doubt it. Because he's the type of guy that used to say with a straight face that he cared about the harmful spread of disinformation while he Patreon-funded someone like Rubin, ultimately aiding in the harmful spread of disinformation. Very consistent and logical and rational. 
I think the support for Rubin and uh, Douglas Murray were among the first sort of really large, irreparable punctures in my respect for Sam. Sure, there were concerns before that, but I always managed to tell myself that I must be misunderstanding or there was probably some good explanation or something. These things, though, kept returning and weren't so easily dismissed. And generally, the constant hypocrisies and long trail of dishonesty just kept chipping away at it, you know? But back to present day, the current hell of 2020, right before the U.S. elections. Great times. Look, no matter who wins this election, it is going to be bad. Not that the candidates are equally bad or anything. One is so obviously less horrendous that if you're still undecided, I don't even know what to say, really. But either way, it'll be bad in the sense that if Trump loses, who the fuck knows how his fans will react and how that whole thing will go down. If Trump wins, I mean, he's going to be a bitter and sore winner, too. And the damage he will do in four more years... I don't even want to think about, and I'm not even American. But either way, you know the IDW will pivot accordingly to make sure they are still firing directly at what they think is the equivalent of the left in the situation. Shocking, I know. If Trump wins, it will be because the left talked about racism and bigotry too much. That's what caused it. To them, that will be a see, I told you so moment. If Biden wins, that will be too. Oh, well, see, we told you fighting the left was important because Antifa is in power now. You know, Biden, famously far left Antifa super soldier that he is. This will, in their eyes, legitimize their constant fear-mongering and catastrophizing. Either way, they'll think they've been proven right, as always, and will be more smug and insufferable and anti-left than ever, no matter the outcome. That's my prediction, at least. Can't wait for Sam Harris post-election SJW scolding part two. Gosh, I'm so glad I turned this into a mini-series, though, because it took the pressure off of trying to fit everything into one or two episodes. And there's just so much of it. I plan to start on what this project was initially meant to be, a single episode, just a post-mortem of my 2016 conversation with Sam. Uh, I meant to start on it last year, actually, but aside from the massive amount of work and sorting through all my thoughts scaring me away, I was also admittedly kind of avoiding it like the plague. Just the thought of sitting through and listening to a conversation where I'm still a fan of Sam Harris is so embarrassing to me now. So I wasn't looking forward to hearing that. But when I did sit down and listen, even though there were plenty of mega cringeworthy moments for me, and uh, you'll get to hear them in this series at some point, I promise, there were still a lot of parts where I was pretty proud of myself for sticking with it. And despite being a fan, gently grilling Sam with a persistence that I haven't seen much before or since this conversation, to be honest. The flimsy, desperate excuses he had to constantly make for Doug Murray and Ruben throughout this chat were incredibly telling, I thought. 
and indicative of what the future had in store for Sam fans. This was before I, and many others, observed it to be a larger pattern of him making excuses for all kinds of shady types. And I've heard from countless people that my conversation with him was one of the only times they saw Sam exposed on these topics in this way, and that it helped change their minds about him. And my sincere thanks to them for that type of feedback, because that's what makes this stuff worthwhile. Actually, after the first episode of Woking Up, I heard from someone who said we clashed a fair bit in the past on them defending Sam to the point I apparently blocked them on social media, but they said that continuing to listen to critics of Sam, others, and myself made them see through the BS, and uh, they subscribed via Patreon to hear the last episode, so that was pretty cool. A shout out to all those woking up to his nonsense. I truly appreciate hearing those stories of people changing their minds in a group that's so dogmatic, usually. A lot of people don't take this type of extensive or any criticism of Sam on because his fan base is so toxic. A clique that is ready to cancel anyone at the slightest hint of dissent, and one that's almost never talked about by the people who seem most concerned with Twitter mobs and cancel culture. But we really do have to normalize vocal criticism of people like Sam Harris, because there's not enough of it, certainly within the atheist scene. So again, if you enjoyed this episode, I'd like to request that you please vocally support it and share it. It's important to show that there's a presence of pushback. I may be a tiny, tiny account in comparison to Sam's, but I know (laughs) this series is going to make him extremely mad. He can't wave away my critique as someone who's just unfamiliar with his output or someone who's super offended by his criticisms of Islam. I should be insignificant, but I tend to get under his skin. He's retweeted random right-wing blog posts bitching about me, which caused his hordes of right-wing fans to come after me and do things like tweet threatening pictures of gun crosshairs at me with comments about killing Muslims. I've received emails calling me all sorts of racist shit for criticizing him, a parasite, a savage, and filthy third-world immigrant. I wonder how he gets a fan base like this. It's such a mystery why so many raving bigots are attracted to his content. Oh yeah, and seeing this trend with his bigoted and cultish audience also played a part in putting me off. While Sam paid lip service to wanting to exercise the worst of them, he did little else, and eventually the lip service just didn't cut it. But he doesn't have a far-right audience, say his fans. I can hear them now. And to that I say, he sure does, and he knows he does, and it doesn't bother him too much. That's why he said this in his episode right after Trump was elected. Speaking personally, I can say I feel that I left more or less everything on the field. I know I alienated many of you in how fully I disparaged Trump. And I kept doing it, even at the risk of boring those of you who actually agreed with me, because I thought it was so important. Only if you know you have a fair bit of Trumpiness in your audience do you care or mention how noble you are for continuing to criticize Trump at the risk of alienating them, and also why he wasn't at all embarrassed to admit he has many overlapping fans with someone like Stefan Molyneux. In a conversation, he's acknowledging that Stefan is too far gone for him to have on his show. (laughs) So... 
take the interview you did with Stefan Molyneux. I don't know if you recall that, oh, yeah. but as I watched that recently. Now, Stefan is a prominent YouTube commentator. He's got a, a big online following. He's constantly hurled at me by his fans or mutual fans as someone I should talk to. And he is someone who I've avoided because I have, I have decided that his connections to actual racists and crackpots are too direct for me to be comfortable to talk to him. <laughs> I'm laughing at the uh, Stefan's connections to actual racists being too close comment. <laughs> and the fact that Stefan Molyneux's own fucking racism isn't even mentioned as a factor here. And this is right after Charlottesville, for fuck's sake. Pretty sure it was clear how deeply, deeply racist Molyneux was by then. I'd be mortified if Stefan Molyneux and I had loads of mutual fans. But he can't help who's in his audience. Sure, sure. If the odd random listener were a right-wing type, you could maybe say that. But when you're constantly pushing out right-wing outrage porn, you are cultivating a certain type of audience. Let's be honest here. There was also the time he told his audience that normalizing Trump would be the best thing for people to do and warned against a pendulum swing to the left. Who do you think that's going to appeal to? Of course, of course, he did this after saying he's Trump's biggest critic or something. So remember, he's definitely not a Trump defender or anything. He just wants all you lefties to lay down and take it, whatever Trump is dishing out. So I think normalizing this mess might be the best we can do for the time being. I mean, needless to say, a, a pendulum swing into left-wing identity politics will not be helpful, but it seems extremely likely to occur. In fact, it's already happening with these ridiculous protests we're seeing under the banner of Not My President. Good luck with that. He's currently been mad about BLM protests. He was mad back then about Not My President protests. Seems like he has issues with anything left-leaning types may be protesting. We also touched upon his strange criticisms of Trump briefly last time, where he seems to lead with the fact that he's a big Trump critic, only to say something in defense of him. Interesting tactic, that. Here's how it all sounds when you collect it and put it together. Again, I, I mean, I've said enough against Trump to hopefully never be condemned for failing to detect any of his moral or intellectual lapses. But in this case, I will give him the benefit of the doubt and follow you there and, and imagine that he was just trying to be fairly scrupulous about the blame that existed on both sides and how and what a danger this represents to civil society where you have people, you know, members of the KKK and, and neo-Nazis marching with a permit, right, which is something our First Amendment protects, and they're getting attacked by the people who show up to protest. Now, I, I'm sure... I'm sure that ran both ways. Perhaps there were neo-Nazis who were doing the attacking first. But still, you can't attack 
members of the KKK and Nazis just because you don't like them. I mean, that's it. Like, if you are using force first, you are the criminal in our society. There are very few people who who uh, find Trump as, as more odious than I do. I mean, if there are such people, I haven't met them. But much of the attack, many of the attacks on Trump are so poorly targeted mm -hmm. that he's being, you know, call, he's being called a racist for things that are not evidence of racism. Now, I have no doubt he actually is a racist, but uh, no exaggeration, half of the evidence adduced for his racism by the left is just, it's just, just maliciously just poorly a, targeted. It's a lot of people. But I mean, I've Whoa. been accused of having the, the worst case of Trump derangement syndrome that anyone's ever seen. Okay. It's a thankless job defending Trump or any of the, these other people who I disagree with more or less across the board. And in, in, certainly in Trump's case, I'm more or less sure that he is guilty as charged. But again, the question is, are these utterances evidence of the crime? Anyway, that's the basis for my demurral about Trump's tweets. He's an ignoramus and a blowhard and a bully. And sometimes that's the most parsimonious explanation for the chaos he causes. He is not playing four-dimensional chess. He's not a genius. He is a buffoon. And I'm sure he's also a racist. But again, this isn't clear evidence, in my view, of racism. My problem with the left is that it's finding evidence of racism everywhere, even where it manifestly does not exist. And here was a case in Trump's recent tweets against the so-called squad, uh, where it was susceptible to other readings, right? And I thought it was counterproductive to seize upon these tweets as clear signs of his racism. Again, I'm giving Trump the benefit of the doubt here which I think I should always do because I despise the man. People often accuse me of claiming that I have no biases. That's simply untrue. I have biases and I try to correct for them. Here's my bias. I find Trump to be one of the most repellent human beings I can think of. That is a significant bias. I should be bending over backwards to give him the benefit of the doubt when there is a doubt. And the left should do likewise, especially if they don't want four more years of Trump in office. So for instance, I mean, like with me and Trump, like there's nobody who uh, you don't like de the guy. denigrates Trump as avidly as I do, but I am super careful to be honest, right? So like, I, it's not that because anything you can, you can smear him with is fair. Because right? you can be safe. I mean, well, the problem with something... All these guys can be. Sam Cedar can be honest on his show and still have a show, right? Nobody's going to cancel him because he was too honest. He has time and time again provided justifications on his podcast for people shifting to the right. What other kind of audience is he going to get? My views on the topic are not a result of increased sympathy with the political right. Of course. It's just I, I am worried about a time where, given a choice between the right or the left, when the left is this confused on this topic of really civilizational importance. 
He's talking about global jihadism. And given a forced choice between the two, that even otherwise liberal people will be forced to choose the right. And、um, I see that potentially happening in Europe before the U.S., but I, I can see that happening in the U.S. as well. It's, it's not a matter of becoming more right-wing. It's a matter of, you know, the house is on fire, and the only people who seem aware that flames don't usually belong on the ceiling are members of the right. Okay, so then, who are you going to trust to put out the fire? You've got one, at least one side is talking about fire more or less accurately and acknowledging that it shouldn't be where it currently is. The other side is is speaking pure delusion and, in many cases, reaching for a can of gasoline. That's the problem. If you have an emergency and only one side seems to be cognizant of it, well, then that's the side you have to pick. And again, I don't think we're in that situation. Yet, but I could see us pushed there by a sufficiently large act of terrorism. Wholeheartedness that、yeah. progress requires that good people get hurt. Boo hoo! And and, and that thing is so hardcore. That's going to make the that, that makes the Trumpian backlash understandable. And as I said. <laughs> This is gonna piss him off. It's totally dishonest of me to use his own words. He's such a big critic of Trump. He's said enough about it that he really shouldn't even be questioned on that anymore. Yeah, 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 yeah. I know, I know. I don't know if he'll say anything about this series or if he'll passive aggressively retweet someone else's ranting about me. But let's just say that this big-brained intellectual is. Petty enough to not let it go when someone's critical of him, even if it's a nobody like me. Once on Eric Weinstein's podcast, the two of them totally didn't say petty things about me or try to cancel me. Cancel culture has gone too far now. You went on this person nice mangoes podcast. Yeah, that would talk about a, a no good deed going well, unpunished. You know, you, you know no, there's, there's just something. I did、wrong. my best to launch your podcast. There's, well, there's、yeah. something wrong with that account because there's many ways in which it seems quite reasonable. Yeah, and then it's degraded into mental illness. Well, there's a personal, there's a personal nastiness about it that just that、yeah. doesn't let up. Yeah. And a lack of charity and.、Right. What I find is that there are certain things I can do to slow down that kind of、uh, negative experience, and then there are certain die-hard actors, some of whom are quite polite and charming and funny, who just will not like. Their thing is they will ride this to the most negative place if they、yeah. can get there, and. <laughs> There's some irony in complaining about personal nastiness while calling me mentally ill on air. There was no attempt to engage with my points or criticisms; just straight up ad homs. Sam strangely lying about the fact that he helped launch my podcast. What even is that? Did he really think his appearance on my already existing show was launching it? You'll also notice that my criticisms of Sam. Here are not personal or making claims about things like his mental health, but rather based on things he says and does. And I back up what I say, whether you agree with it or not. At least you can see I'm not making bold claims 
without presenting anything to justify them. But this is the kind of double standard these types always operate on. Accuse everyone else of bad faith, even if all they do is quote your own words, while calling everyone you dislike all sorts of names. To be fair, though, I do criticize him, so I must have something wrong with my lady brain or skull shape even. Harris has called Sam Cedar psychopathic. He has referred to all Vox journalists as having the intellectual integrity of the KKK. Just imagine what kind of tantrum him and his fans would have if anyone ever said something like that about him without even attempting to justify such claims. I mean, I said he was petty a little while ago. That was very rude and uncivil of me. Sam is never petty and he never acts like a brat, not even when his own friends ever so gently push back. And so you have someone like Ezra Klein, who I'm sure thinks he's a journalist, but who doesn't function like one when he is on certain topics. And, uh, you know, he has some internal model of, of the good he wants to do in the world that doesn't entail being intellectually honest because he's on the right side of a certain problem. And so he's going to be dishonest in the way he spreads information. Uh, well, on, I mean, just, know, just, to pu- just to push back, he would obviously <laughs> dispute that characterization. But... I don't know if you heard the podcast I did with with uh, Paige Harden, the... the um, yeah, I did. That's probably why I'm asking this, because it yeah. felt... Uh, it felt like you were defensive or um, or hurt or 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 needlessly um, focusing on something that to the, to someone who's not in that game feels petty. Rep, see, it's it's not petty. When things aren't going his way in an email exchange with a public figure, he either publishes their exchange without consent or pressures them into accepting. Several years ago, Chomsky made it perfectly clear he wasn't comfortable when Sam suggested he publish their correspondence. Chomsky called it a strange form of exhibitionism and said that he couldn't imagine doing it but said if that's what Sam wanted, then he wouldn't object. With Ezra Klein, more recently, Sam said this and went ahead and published their private exchange without Ezra's approval. I told him that if he continued in this way, I would publish our private email correspondence so that our readers could judge him for themselves. His latest effort has convinced me I should make good on that promise. That obviously made him look terrible, which was somehow surprising to him. And then he added this note to the published email exchange. Judging from the response to this on social media, my decision to publish these emails appears to have backfired. (laughs) With Kara Swisher, there was also a moment of this, where he made a fuss about little things. I mean... You'd think this guy wasn't a massive public figure with over a million followers. Like I get if some rando Twitter troll is sending you threats or some nasty bullshit, I wouldn't respect their privacy either. But well-established public figures who you've in most cases invited to chat, no matter how much you disagree with them, this type of behavior does not make you look good. 
So, we, you know, we were seated, seated next to each other at a dinner party. Yeah. I had nothing but a, in my mind, a, a lovely, lovely conversation with you. Yeah. Came I away didn't agree thing. with everything you were saying. Sure, but you, yeah, you either kept that to yourself or it was fine, right? But I don't I remember anything, yeah, I don't remember any bad vibes in our conversation. So, whatever the case was, I left thinking, okay, that, that's a great person, happy, yeah. to, happy to hang with her. And then I see on Twitter someone, you, you uh, praise a profile on Yavalno Harari. Yeah. In the New York Times, yeah. and then someone I see, and I, you know, I, I guess I was following you, or I, I, mm-hmm. I don't know how I saw this, but then I saw someone recommend, oh, you should listen to the, the uh, Sam Harris just did, did mm-hmm. a podcast with Yuval, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, and you said Sam Harris, no thanks, right, or something like some, something yeah, contemptuous about yeah, you me. See, you didn't. That was not what I meant. It's like I don't want to. I don't want to listen to another one. I want to listen to your version of it. No, no, no. But it what, what, I, what, that, what I, what I, you had a whole package no, that went along with it that was just not so. What, what, what package? Well, that that I that I was like, oh, not. Pain. I, I, I would say that about I don't want to listen to well, 20 or well, 30 different podcasters about No, so. no, no, no. It was something it was disparaging. Not, it was about, it, the onus was, was not, on me. It the was onus not was on disparaging. Me. You thought it was disparaging. Well, no, but then I sent you an email. Well, most of it is like, I don't care. But then I sent you an email and I said, what's up here? Like, like yeah. we've, I've only met you once. Right, I thought you I were know. great. I was astonished and, and, that you went so deep into my retweets, but go ahead. Well, no, no, it, wasn't, okay. it wasn't that. It just yeah. it was in my face. It was yeah. like, either it was in my ad mentions because I had been tagged or whatever. I was so thoughtless on my part. I wasn't going deep into your retweets. But anyway, so I, 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 I just as a sanity check, I really I said, listen, we've only met once. Right. Everything was great. Uh, I think you're great. I think I, I just retweeted your your podcast with Elon. I thought right. that was great. That was a great um, podcast. That uh, deserved a retweet. Okay, so and then, but now you're you're throwing shade on Twitter. So what's going on? It wasn't shade. I'm well, just telling you. But, but then your email to me I said was, I don't like some. No, no, wait, wait, wait. Tell wait. me your podcast. I listened to one. I didn't like it. Do, do, I don't do you remember. want? Do you want? I mean, I, we'll, I can we'll I can, you know I, I, can we'll I can publish your email. Publish them. I mean, I. Okay, let's publish. It's not good. It's boring. It's not good for us. No, only because you thought I was mad at you because of Ezra. I'm like, why would I defend Ezra? It was absolute contempt in your email to me. No, it was like, we don't. Sometimes I don't like your stuff. You may not like my stuff. Who cares? What do you care? I don't even know what stuff you were referring to. I don't even see. The thing is, here's the thing. Most of my stuff is I don't care, and you're offended. You no, see what no, I mean? No, no. The, 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 again, uh, don't take t- my not caring for turn, being. Turn, turn the empathy dial shade. a little bit higher here. I'm not. Okay. I'm heartless. Sam. I'm, I already I'm, know I'm heartless. The, the, the idea, the, 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 what gave one? I mean, it's just it's. I think it's impossible to read your your comment on Twitter any other way as, yeah. as being a, as a, as a jab it's at me. Four but, words. But I couldn't be sure that you had any idea what my actual positions are. I mean, maybe you just oh, maybe, no, maybe read, you just read all my no, negative no, press. No, I did not. Of course, right. I read your book right. before that dinner okay. party. But- mirror, mirror on the wall. Who is the most rational of them all? Why, Sam Harris, of course. He's always steel manning his ideological opponents. Just look at the times. He generally compares the woke left to white supremacists by saying they're both equally fixated on race. As if the details don't matter, you know, that one set is trying to oppress people by race and the other set is simply fighting back against that type of injustice. People who are as fixated on the on the significance of race and its and its permanence as white supremacists are are the, are the you know the irretrievably woke on the left. 
And the problem is, the left is as fixated on race as the far right is. I mean, honestly, the far left is as concerned about race as the Ku Klux Klan. Someone else he doesn't like very much is ta Coates, whom he repeatedly, on multiple episodes, calls a pornographer of race. That's what we call extreme steel manning. While Doug Murray, who's worried about the whiteness levels of London declining, totally not a pornographer of race, Sam has described him as impeccable, in fact. Lauren Southern was once described by him as a conservative journalist. Definitely not a pornographer of race, whose Patreon deplatforming he threatened to leave Patreon over, by the way. But then he accepted that uh, maybe video evidence of her firing flare guns at migrant boats with the potential to cause loss of life was maybe a bit much, and perhaps justification enough to remove her. He never retracted that dangerously downplayed characterization of her, though. These are not pornographers of race. Nuh-uh. Yet to my eye, he is a kind of pornographer of race. Yeah, and they're, and they're just these obvious comparisons, which, again, are radioactive to even make. At one point in one of your articles, you say, you know, Jewish people don't get to hate German people and get praised for it because of what the German people's grandparents did to the Jews, right? This is one of these disparities that you point out where in the work of an author like ta Coates, you can see expressions of what would be recognized to be racism in anyone else, but in Coates, he's canonized for it. Oh, is it okay to say people are racist now? Because I thought that justified them doing absolutely unhinged things like voting for Trump. Ugh, just hearing this stuff from him constantly causes any hint of respect to vanish, really. There's just so many things that you'd have to be blind not to see, as we've just discussed, you know? The pettiness, the sliminess of not owning how sympathetic he actually is to some of Trump's views, and like when he portrays himself as the biggest critic, only as a precursor to defending him. I mean, sure, sure. He dislikes Trump for his stupidity and mismanagement and unpredictability. But on more serious issues like racism, you'll notice there's a softness there, a sympathy of sorts. It's subtle and done in a clever way so that if you hear one or two instances of it, you may not even think twice about it. In fact, you'd think, wow, he's a great critic of Trump. I mean, I fell for it initially too. Like, I'm sure he dislikes him genuinely, and I assume he's not going to vote for him. But there's definitely something more to it. If you hear his criticisms, they're all about Trump's buffoonery, you know? Trump is a rhinoceros. Trump is a deflating balloon. But Trump is never racist. I mean, sure, sure, he is generally, but never specifically. When you hear enough of it, you start seeing the pattern and the dishonesty in it. 
It's a shame Sam doesn't get grilled well enough in most interviews he does, but it's because you have to follow him pretty closely to even understand this web of lies and bullshit. Because he's definitely better than Dave Rubin at covering his ass. It's funny, though, that he claims people only accuse him of bigotry when they aren't familiar with his work and associations. If you followed my work, if you followed the kinds of alliances I formed, if you, if you followed my efforts to to prop up reformist Muslims and ex-Muslims, and it just, I mean, it, it, it's clear that the color of people's skin or their country of origin has nothing to do with my energy here. That I'm talking about ideas and their consequences. And if I'm going to make an invidious comparison between Islam and Hinduism, say, or Islam and Buddhism, you know, just do the math. It's obvious that that that. I'm not concerned with skin color. I mean, 1.2 billion Hindus in India are not white like me, right? So it's not like race is not the is not my concern, and yet people will double and triple down on you are a racist for focusing on Islam. Islam isn't even a race, right? You know, I could convert to Islam right now. Yeah, you know, Muslims in Islam are never racialized. No brown non-Muslim has ever suffered from the consequences of anti-Muslim hatred. This fucking 2014 talking point is still kicking around in those circles. Also, if we're gonna talk about the alliances that Sam has formed with (laughs) ex-Muslims, it's worth mentioning that he props up some of the worst, most hate-filled ex-Muslims out there. One of the people he called his hero has repeatedly compared Muslims to Nazis and Islam to Nazism. She has justified hate crimes against Muslims by saying they're simply a reaction to the crimes perpetrated by Muslims across the planet. And after this recent tragic and horrific beheading of a woman in Paris, she's now taken to Twitter to dangerously fan the flames of hatred and demand a quote-unquote retaliation. Now, this is how you'd expect a frothing-at-the-mouth extremist to react. These are not the words of someone who wants to help contain hate. These are the words of someone who wants to help breed hate. Not the best person to prop up, and certainly not the best person to help shield Sam. Now, of course, he's not responsible for everything she says, but unless he denounces these extremist views of his close associates and quote-unquote heroes, he's just as bad as they say Linda Sarsour is for having these concerning alliances. He also props up reformists like Trump fan Asra Namani. Also, guys, please note that uh, famous Charles Murray defender here is not at all concerned with race, okay? He's got to be lying to himself here because when people become more familiar with his output is when they realize the extent of how rotten his views are on so many things. The reason his subreddit is starting to resemble Dave Rubin's is precisely because of the people who've been following him closely and have been so incredibly disappointed. In his own words. I think half the people in my subreddit despise me. (laughs) 
When Sam and I chatted back in 2016, because I was a fan, I knew enough to know which associations to question and what to ask. But the lack of sufficient grilling he gets on other platforms is probably also because many people he talks to, say, like on mainstream media, don't know his patterns and his pals and repeated promotions of horrid people and views. So they often don't question him too far beyond the more well-known controversies. And he likes it like that. He is careful, at least, to knowingly not speak to many who'd give him too hard a time. Yep, that's our difficult conversation haver. Who is so bold and brave to have Charles Murray on. Not because he's interested in race and IQ, but because he likes to have difficult and controversial conversations that challenge him, okay? He's just a dispassionate observer of scientific fact. Did you catch the dispassionate part? Because he would really like you to know how dispassionate he is, goddammit. This is not how I see myself. There's nothing about my pedigree that is part of my identity. And so from this point of view of just being totally uninterested in my race, totally uninterested in my race, I see certain potential facts as both true, undoubtedly true, and there to be found, and totally unthreatening. So, for instance, you know, apparently I've got 32% British and Irish DNA. I am sure that if you tested every person on Earth, you've got the, the total population of people who have more than 30% British and Irish DNA, you could find a dozen invidious comparisons to make between them and people with a different genotype, right? So if we finally, you know, find the gene for being a jerk, you know, we're going to have more of it than the Swedes, say, or the, the Nigerians, or I mean, there's going to be a difference that can be spun as, as ugly. And it has absolutely no relevance to me as an individual, and it need have no relevance to our politics. And yet, but it would seem frankly crazy for me to say there is no there there biologically. There's no possible line of inquiry that could turn up something that is true there because, you know, we're all homo sapiens and there's just, there are no important differences among us. That's something that I'm not afraid of. If you were to find the, the, the smoking gun tomorrow that proves that um, East Asians are slightly smarter than, than Anglo-Saxons and that, uh, you know, that the comparison works against other groups' favor when compared to Anglo-Saxons, I would, I would if, you, if you show me how that's provable, I'll accept that. And I also understand that that has nothing to do with how I move through the world. I'm an individual and sharing genetic ancestry with LeBron James has done nothing for my basketball game. Hey, unfortunately. <laughs> I wish it did. People don't want to hear that a person's intelligence is in large measure due to his or her genes. And there seems to be very little we can do environmentally to increase a person's intelligence, even in childhood. It's not that the environment doesn't matter, but genes appear to be 50 to 80% of the story. People don't want to hear this. 
and they certainly don't want to hear that average IQ differs across races and ethnic groups. Now, for better or worse, these are all facts. In fact, there is almost nothing in psychological science for which there is more evidence than these claims about IQ, about the validity of testing for it, about its importance in the real world, about its heritability, and about its differential expression in different populations. Again, this is what a dispassionate look at decades of research suggests. This is what a dispassionate look at decades of research suggests. Dispassionate, dispassionate, dispassionate. Uh, and again, I have zero interest in establishing differences among races. Yes, he has zero interest in establishing differences among races, which is why he had to make sure to bring up and speak out against his own guest, Thomas Chatterton Williams, whom he likes for similar reasons as Coleman Hughes. He just had to tell him that he was making a potentially dangerous move by denying the biological component of race. I feel like you're, you're making a potentially dangerous move in, in disavowing any relevant biology here because it's not an accident that you can know something about a person's ancestry based on just looking at them. Right? I mean, I can, I can look at someone whose ancestors spent the last thousand years in China and say, that person looks Chinese to me. And I'd never be tempted to say that he looks like he came from Norway. And so that's obviously that's just the surface level. He's just a brave man in search of truth, no matter how uncomfortable that journey may be. No, no, he will not converse with Tanahasi Coates. He doesn't like pornographers of race, as we've established. Keep up, guys. No, not with Sam Cedar either, because he knows this IDW shit like the back of his hand. And even though I'm small time, if he had known how much I was planning to push back when we spoke, despite my being very nice about it, and how upset it was going to make some of his friends like Reuben and Gad, I highly doubt he would have come on to talk to me either. And I'm pretty sure he regretted it soon after, too. And especially now that I've proven to be such an ungrateful recipient of his supposed assistance with the launch of my other podcast, Polite Conversations. But on that note of my ungratefulness, let's wrap up here today and uh, we'll meet again after the U.S. elections. Good luck and happy Halloween. Yeah, and this is one reason why I'm uncomfortable with the race isn't real summary. Because ancestry is real. So like, it's a totally coherent thing to say that, I mean, just imagine, you, you, you do the 23andMe test and you find out that, you know, surprise, surprise, you don't have any, you know, sub-Saharan African ancestry, but you've got, you know, a ton of, you know, 50% South Indian ancestry right so either your dad isn't your dad in that case or he's mistaken about his his ancestry i mean it's, it's totally possible i mean not likely but 
certainly they're South Indians who are as, you know, as dark-skinned sure. as any person from Sub-Saharan Africa. And, you know, let's just say your dad happened to be one of them and who just looked Sub-Saharan and did not look South Indian in any other way and had been, you know, mistaken. Now, if that's a coherent human possibility, what are we talking about there? We're talking about confusion about his ancestry. One way of summarizing that is it's confusion about, you know, his racial background. To me, that's all the work the word is doing when we put it in a sentence. Thanks for listening to Woking support this show by sharing it or via patreon.com forward slash nice mangoes no ian mangoes and a special thanks to intellectual dark wave for helping out on the musical front